Emma Brain in for James Pike away for the next couple of weeks on Dubai I 103.8. James has gone off on his jolly, so you've got me here. And uh, joining me in the studio for Car Talk is Imtisham from Motoring at Middle East. And Imtisham, on your own this week. Where's Shazad? Shazad is off in the UK having another jolly. He's in the back of a Range Rover. If you've seen on our Facebook page on Motoring Middle East, he is in the back of a Range Rover being ferried about and visiting some really cool, like, palaces and stuff he's been having a really good time over there I know there, I'll get my he? own back tomorrow morning you will do because you're off on a jolly when we'll talk about that very shortly but uh, Shazad's been as you said driving the new Range Rover hybrid over in the UK um, thoughts about that vehicle so far well it's a very radical change for a Range Rover they're still going to a 2 litre 4 cylinder engine the electric assist it makes about 400 horsepower um, it's in theory the perfect Range Rover because it's utterly silent glides everywhere and still has the same affordability. I'm sure that Range Rover would not have launched it in a way that we would not do all of those things perfectly. So basically, it should be magnificent. We hope so. I'm still one of those people. I see a Range Rover. I'm from the UK, obviously. These are workhorse vehicles for me. They should be going up and down muddy, wet fields. the last time you saw a Range Rover (laughs) in a field in Dubai or even on the sand? That's what what I'm saying. For me, that's what they should be doing, not cruising up and down the highways. It's a workhorse vehicle, but we've kind of gone the other way with them. They look nice, the new ones. I like them. Way too nice. They're not to get too dirty. nice. Too nice for muddy fields, that's for sure. <laughs> the average Range Rover customer is not spoiling their well, their fine attire by going anywhere near a muddy field. They have people to do that. They lift the car up and perhaps take it somewhere else. But it's kind of a, a little bit of a bold move for Range Rover to go in the hybrid vehicle market, is it not? For for a car like this, do you reckon or not? Or are they all moving in they the direction? Have a choice. Now? Everybody's got to go hybrid now. Range Rover's always been the leading edge and the bleeding edge of four wheel drive. Look, what's coming is a car future where we don't drive cars mm. and we just plug them in like cell phones, which is a future I'm not looking forward to. And I've said repeatedly is not a future that anybody should look forward to because nobody cares when their cell phone dies. But you do care when your car is sick, as I like to say, or in the shop. Oh, but dear. the Range Rovers that's coming are particularly interesting because I don't think Range Rovers will be uh, anything less than an autonomous off-roader. Mm. So they're building systems where basically you'll see a muddy field, you'll press a button and the car will drive across it. That's coming. That, really? You think so? Oh, 100%. They've already started showing prototypes in Range Rover Sports. Oh. Can you imagine autonomous off-roading? <laughs> but doesn't it kind of defeat the object of the off-roading if that's going to happen? Completely. <laughs> but that's the way customers are. They want gadgets and toys. I was uh, a week or so ago, actually a little more than a couple of weeks ago, I was in uh, Arizona driving the new Ram 1500. Now, I can't tell you about driving impressions because I'm still on an embargo for a very, very long time. But I can tell you that the new car is absolutely crammed to the gunwales, if that's for the term, with technology. And that's what buyers want now. It's a pickup truck that doesn't feel like a pickup truck anymore. It feels like a luxury SUV. Mm. It's a pickup truck. I'm a little bit disappointed to hear all this, to be honest, because I like the driver experience, I think, a lot of the time. So you might be upset to hear as well that, I don't know if you read this news, that Bentley is saying, oh, we're going to have our first electronic vehicle very, very soon. Yeah, yeah, it's going to happen. I mean, look, Rolls-Royce did an electric concept years and years ago. It's called the 102 EX. Mm. Um, And we actually drove that in Dubai. We drove it on the track at uh, Dubai Autodrome. And it's one of those cars that at the time I was like, it was a very early concept, Mm. but they had this massive charging pad. 
like the size of a Rolls Royce that they just parked the car on top of. It's kind of like one of those charging pads you get now for like for your phones? car. Yeah, but for a car and you just drove on top of it and started charging. I can't even imagine what sort of diseases you get standing next to that thing. <laughs> How but does that even work? I need, to, I need to know the physics of this. It's inductive charging. Electricity is sent through the air. To be honest... That's how we're going to be charging everything in the future. All these wires and cables are just the past. We're going to be like driving over stuff and getting charges. That is the way. Like you say, a little bit scary because uh, we haven't really thought of the health uh, issues to do with that. We'll have to wait and see while that happens. Positive with thoughts. That. Positive, Positive thoughts. thoughts. Is that where we're going? Okay. So what yeah. else have you been looking at? You've been looking at uh, seven Jeep concepts from Moab as well. Well, Jeep has done a bunch of cars they do every year and they like to hide lots of Easter eggs and a lot of facelifted products get hidden there as well. But Let's be honest, for them, it is a massive jolly. Mm. They just go to go absolute flight of fancy. They had a, a one Jeep that's basically an old Wagoneer, but dressed up to look like a new one. It has a completely new engine drivetrain. It looks really cool on lifted. There's also several Wranglers, one that's basically a hot rod, one that's a crazy light-based concept where they've actually taken all the weight out of it. So instead of lifting it, they've just taken all the weight out of it. So it naturally just went up. Yeah, it's very very strange, and they got like the normal run in the middle stuff like Renegades and so on. But basically, it's their chance for them to go a little bit crazy, and they add really cool names. Like one of them is called the Nacho. <laughs> what? Why not? Why wouldn't you call Jeep I the Nacho? It just seems weird. What, what do you think of the Jeep Wrangler pickup? That they're launching as well. Pickups seem to be one of the on-trend vehicles at the moment. Would you buy a pickup? Uh, no, not really practical for me, to be honest with you. Why? Why isn't it practical? It's practical for everybody. You can take everything in the back of your car. If your friends need to move house, you are there for them. <laughs> but VW are launching one as well. I, re- I saw it at the New York Motor Show, which is happening this the end of this month, beginning of next month, yeah, I think. Yeah, it's all happening. The thing is that VW pickups going to be more of like a workhorse. You gotta draw a line because mm. the difference between pickups and pickups. So all days like the the high luxes and stuff like that, which are used for actual commercial working grade stuff. Then there's the European stuff. Mercedes Benz has a pickup called yeah. the X Class, which again is sort of somewhere in between. It's a little lifestyle, a little nice. And then you have the American stuff. Mm. Now, again, draw another line. There's a lot of lines. My maths was never that great. But when you're in America, those are working class cars. Like you only have to spend two minutes when you land at LAX airport. You'll see a hundred F-150s before you even get to the uh, carousel, pick up your bags. But in the Middle East, pickups are toys. Pickups are toys for trailer, towing your trailers, towing your jet skis, towing other pickups. I don't know. You just drive around with them and they are massive and everybody's seen them in a mall. They take up a massive amount of room and there's one person driving them. And I should know because I have one. <laughs> Are you one of those people that takes up two spaces? I will defend it till the day I die. Well, you. Is it one of the big double-wheeled ones at the back? No, it's not a double-wheeled one. It's actually a Ram 1500. I use it for the desert. Mainly because somebody said to me, a good friend of mine said, there's no way one of those things will work in the desert. And I was like, really? <laughs> Out to prove people wrong. Out then. to prove I am very insecure. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got any questions for Imtisham from Motoring Middle East this evening, you can get in touch. Give us a call, 423 SMS at 4001 or use the Dubai Eye free app. Imtisham, let's talk about Aunt Dubai and the BMW 8 series that I spied on your Facebook page. Do we like it? Do we not like it? I like it. I think it's a pretty good looking car. 
I mean, art Dubai, I have no opinions on because I'm a Philistine when it comes to art. <laughs> but what cars for me are art. Do you think cars are art? I, I think they. I like the concept cars and the kind. You know, when they come Is up there with a big these crazy gulf ideas, between the, the concept car and the reality car. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. When I see when I see these unveilings, I'm like, ah, oh, it's a really good concept and it's great in theory, but in reality, if this car went into production, how good would it be? The answer is people buy cars on design. You're absolutely right, in my opinion. And when people water down the designs, mm. you get some. Well, you get cars that are neither here nor there. Let's talk about one of the very worst cars that was ever a concept. I think it was the Pontiac Aztec. Mm. Now you know the Pontiac Aztec. You, you've seen the Pontiac Aztec, yeah, because it was in Breaking Bad. Okay, and yeah. uh, f- that car was such a sad, sad thing. And you know what? GM, bless them. Now they've got some great engineers and now the cars they're putting out are absolutely incredible. But at the time with the Aztec, they were a company that was kind of lacking direction and they were very corporate and they were just making cars to fill segments. So the reason the Aztec happened is because it actually fulfilled all the marketing segments. Like they checked off all the checkbox. Look, it can do this. Look, it can do that. Look, it's got a big engine. Look, it's got, it can have a tent. They actually had a tent option at the back. You could open the back and put a tent out. And it was hideous. Nobody looked at it. Everybody looked at that project and they said afterwards, we were really proud of it. It fulfilled all of our objectives, except the one of beauty. Because when people looked at it, they thought, no way they'll put this into production. Not only did they put it into production, they thought it was going to sell. It didn't. Oh. Spoiler alert. Oh, what a shock. <laughs> Do you know what though? Values are going up. They are. Because of Breaking Bad. It doesn't surprise me though, really. When you Mint see- green Aztecs mm. are... With, I mean, is that does that work? Would you buy a car because it's on the TV or a film? Well, I, t- I tell you what, I tell you a little story. When uh, I grew up in Saudi, and when my dad moved there, he had a, he had an option. He could have bought a DeLorean mm-hmm. or a um, a Trans Am Firebird in Saudi. <laughs> I know. Uh, guess which one he went for? Trans Am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Every time, and I'm like, why did you not buy the DeLorean? What an awesome car! It is. I know. I bought one. There's a couple sitting here yeah. just rusting out. And I, well, they don't rust either. They're stainless well, steel. One, yeah, they don't rust. But mine does not rust. Mine gets plenty of exercise. But I feel sad when you see cars like that just sitting there going to waste. And I'm like, someone take that car, fix it up, and it would be it's amazing. It's not easy. It's not easy. I know that, especially with specialty cars like a DeLorean, for example, you have to keep on top of maintenance. It can be reasonable sometimes. Sometimes it's not reasonable. Sometimes it's just like, why did that happen? Why is that going wrong? But it's part of the pact you make when you buy an old car and these are older cars it's not as bad as something from the 60s or 70s like I can actually find parts for the DeLorean in Dubai really I cannot find parts for like a 60s muscle car in Dubai like carburetors and things almost impossible but have a car that speaks to you whatever it is if it speaks to you I think buying the Aztec as some sort of weird joke homage to you know Breaking Bad is a bit weird but if you love Back to the Future you must have a DeLorean like me of course, absolutely brilliant cars. And um, you've also been looking at the new VW. You can, you mention, would shout at me on. for... Did we finish the 8 Series? <laughs> did we finish the 8 Series? I'm sorry, let's backtrack. So do we like the 8 Series or do we not? We kind of went off on a tangent. Do we like, do we like this car? Do you like the car? I think it looks nice. Um, I don't know kind of where BMW going in recent years. Years, Nobody though. does. It's a little over-styled. Like, it's like they styled it and then they added 20% more style. Yeah. It's a very... There's so much happening and it's your eye doesn't quite know where to rest on that car. I really... I like it. Would I buy it? Sure, if you had that kind of money, you wouldn't be asking the question. you just go straight to the showroom and buy it. But is it the last word in style? It's very stylish. What I'm trying to say is I'm not sure if I like it or not. Mm. But it's a gorgeous thing. 
ob- objectively, not subjectively, is a different story. And I think it'll be fantastic to drive because it's a BMW. So they're doing a Grand Coupe. They're doing, I think, a sedan version. So yeah, we're going to be seeing tons of it. And an M8, so a really fast one. So you're going to be seeing a lot of them on Dubai roads. And I, I for one, couldn't be happy. I'm an old BMW guy from way back. And I think BMWs kind of lost their mojo a bit. So if they're starting to come back, you know, bully for them. Because I liked the kind of the older classic BMWs. And then I think possibly in sort of about the mid 90s, they started to go a bit plasticky. Do you know what I mean? Everything's With the interiors. Yeah. But so I'm kind of hoping that it comes back to more of the, the classic stylings and something a bit more stylish, I think. Yeah. I mean, the trouble is cars are to a large extent also the product of the people who drive them. Mm. So there is the stereotype of the BMW driver, which didn't really help because that was like prime 80s, 90s and we all know what the stereotype of the BNL I had one and I drove like that <laughs> I can't I can't pretend I didn't but these days I think the company is very different before they had that whole ultimate driving machine yeah and now they're more like what is this like tagline now joy or something they're just like we're happy we're happy we're not BMW we're not trying to cut you up in traffic we are like just really nice fancy car please don't buy a Mercedes Benz buy a BMW <laughs> so if they got a bit stuck Beamers, have they got a bit stuck? Do they need to? to I think they have been trying to reboot their whole image for a bit, and they're getting there. They're getting there. I mean, Mercedes really knows what their image is, which is oligarchs and uh, people with money out here. Basically, Mercedes knows exactly what they're doing. BMW is trying to do environmentally friendly cars. They do Mm. green cars. Like if you go to London, you'll see the i i3, and you'll see the i8 out here. And then they're trying to do super sports cars. Then they do SUVs. They're trying to do a lot. And it's a lot for even a car company of that size to pull off successfully. So I think they spread themselves a bit thin. But they're starting to focus again on their key competencies, which is bloody great saloons. <laughs> that's <laughs> what they need to be doing. But I think you're right. In comparison to Mercedes, which I think is a company that's always known what it is and what it's doing. And they've just been, they've always been nice cars, the Mercs. They've always been nice cars. But you know what? In the They were always understated. Mm. BMW is like that brash city boy thing, right? It's like, I've got lots of money. I come out there, I drive, buy, buy a BMW. I'm going to go and I'm going to be that young, aggressive person. It's man. But if you drive a BMW, it's kind of old money, right? <laughs> BMW is, sorry, Mercedes is old money. Mercedes is bought by people who kind of like always wanted a Mercedes. Mm. But now Mercedes are bought by very brash, enthusiastic people. And there's something about the cars that have also become really gaudy almost. I mean, they're great cars, but they're, wow, they're not subtle anymore. I think it's, I, I blame um, Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Do you, why? Why is that? Why, why is that? that's when they got like a major product placement. If you remember that the Mercedes ML launched in that. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that was and yeah that was actually quite a pretty aggressive and they have placement I think in the current Jurassic Park as well the new Jurassic World they've got cars in that I actually know that the chap who owns one of the Mercedes from the Lost World ooh nice again movie cars that's yeah. a keeper yeah well it gets them going but now they understand the power of having cars in product placement and that's what gets people talking about the cars it does and uh, concept cars as well I like to I still see the Tron vehicles around as well in oh. lots of different things yeah that would be good. <laughs> It'd be very illegal with all the lights and things, though. But I don't know. I don't know. We've got a roadworthy Batmobile here in Dubai. Anything's we do, possible. We do have a couple of roadworthy Batmobiles. Yeah, I mean, they're quite good storage. I cannot tell on air, but those are actually roadworthy license plates and everything. And they're very, very cool. And they're actually, I believe, legal from Warner Brothers. So they're actually Warner Brothers cars. That's amazing. And you can rent, I think you can rent one of them. That one, I'm not sure if it's road legal. I think that's more of a display car, but it's also very cool. It's a very nice uh, replica. 
Just be a, we're, we're total nerds, the pair of us, aren't we? We're, we're just well, taking well, the show in a very different direction today. Well, well, we've already deduced we're Comic-Con nerds, so it might go in that direction. <laughs> we started with the BMW 8 series. <laughs> How did that happen? But, but, but speaking of the BMWs, I seem to remember about eight years ago, a lot of people I knew were into the Z3s. That was a well, really popular car. Ooh, what are you saying now? <laughs> Potentially. I mean, the, uh, the Z3, you know the problem with the Z3? I thought it was going to be this amazing sports car. And and I think it was going to be, a, it was, again, movies. Uh, it was going to be in uh, GoldenEye. It first got its major placement in GoldenEye, mm. and BMW struck a long-term deal with the, um, I think the what called the, um, the Eon Corporation that runs the Bond fam franchise, to f- place these cars in about three or four films. So the first one was the Z3, and we were all looking forward to it. Like, what's it going to do? Oh, it's a cool-looking car. I think it's a very good-looking car. It's going to age well. And then in the movie, it did absolutely nothing. They had this big scene of Pierce Brosnan walks past. Look, it's got rocket launchers and it's got ejector seats. And you know what it did in the movie? It drove in a circle and then drove away. But it's not an Aston Martin, is it's it? It's not an Aston well, But they had the coolest BMW ever in the next movie, Tomorrow Never Dies. They had the 7 Series. I wonder how many people listening actually remember the 7 Series from Tomorrow Never Dies. That he drove from the back seat with a, the phone. With yep. a, with a Sony Ericsson <laughs> cell phone. I mean, you look at it now, and that cell phone is massive. But in 1997, I think that was amazing. Look, it has a screen. It had it had missiles. It actually did stuff. <laughs> Absolute craziness. We've kind of gone into Nerdville with the Comic Con cars That's the and next movie cars. Two to three weeks of this. I mean, James it's is fine. more different. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, we do have an SMS in. Uh, Martin says, uh, "My mum in the UK has broken her wrist. I hope she feels better soon. Um, but she can't use a stick shift. What would you recommend as a small automatic town car that would be good for her in the UK?" I mean, it's motoring Middle East, but, yeah, but luckily Shazad's in the UK. We should give him a ring. Um, actually, he's probably at home now in Wembley. I'm going to say a small automatic town car. All of them are pretty good. I think um, the VW Polo, Ford Fiesta. There's so many cars out there. I mean, pick your poison, really. Mm. Uh, Audi A1, as you were talking about. Mercedes is an A-class. Um, they all do a clutch. They're all really easy to drive. And the real danger is not the broken wrist, but the fact that you'll drive these cars and think, why am I driving a manual in traffic in the UK? Most people are. I mean, I have never owned an automatic car till my current car. Really? I have only driven, my, even in Dubai, because I started off as a van driver in Dubai. Yeah. I used to drive from Deira all the way up to Jabal Ali. So whenever people moan and say, oh, I can't drive a manual car in traffic, I, mean, I drove a van, a 2002 Hiace, for about six hours every day in bone-breaking traffic. through, And I never had a problem with it. Once you get used to it, you get used to it. That's not the problem. But people just don't want to do that anymore. And you're really alert in a manual car, I'm just going to say. You can't text. Although our phones weren't very good then in 2002. I feel I, I do like to drive. I mean, I drive a stick shift at the moment, an automatic, but I do like to drive a manual. I think uh, you're more, you have more, um, you're more aware of the response of a vehicle driving a manual. Well, unlike an automatic car, if you don't do anything, nothing happens in a manual car. It's automatic. You can put it in DA. It will go and smack into the person in front of them. So it kind of needs you, the car. That's what I like about it. But nobody buys them anymore. Nobody buys them. I mean, the, the take rate must now be in the half percent in the mm-hmm. Middle East. I think most of them will be commercial vehicles. And in terms of like actual retail vehicles, ooh, I can't think of many now. I could really, I'd be, actually, I'd love to know who's bought a manual vehicle in the last like three months. If anybody's bought one, I'm betting. I'm betting almost nobody.
I think they're a lot more fun, especially when your driving instructor teaches you racing gears. Do it, that was <laughs> <That's> nice. <laughs> it's great fun. Uh, we've got a couple of um, UAE topics to cover and uh, one that you've brought up. There's been a massive recall for Pajeros in the UAE for airbags. What's this one all about? So 53,000 plus Pajeros have been recalled, uh, basically to uh, replace the central inflator part of the airbag, which can rupture in the event of an accident. Now, I am being very careful how I word things here because I'm not sure this is part of the massive Takata airbag recall, but it probably sounds like it is, but I'm not sure if it is. In any case, your dealer, local dealer, which is Hapto Motors, will contact you and uh, replace it free of charge. You won't have anything to worry about except maybe a couple of days without your car while they replace it. But 53,000 is a lot. I feel like that's like every Pajero, every mm. soul. I mean, how many cars do they sell in a year? Two or 3,000? So that's probably the last 10 years worth of Pajero. Again, this is nothing to worry about. I mean, don't have an accident, obviously. But <laughs> as soon as you can get down there, again, again, it shouldn't cost you anything. And while you're there, you know, gas up the AC, change the oil, and just look after your car. I mean, this is... Do you think recalls are well understood in the Middle East? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I seem to think we have a lot of recalls in general, and I'm, I'm not really sure why. Is it because the more techie we get with cars, the more potential issues there are with them? That's actually a good way to look at it. Because if you look at cell phones in the past, they were pretty, you know, you buy them and you ran them. If you bought like a Nokia in the 90s. You didn't do you didn't do updates to a Nokia. You just used mm. it till you dropped it in the loo or the swimming pool. But now the phones are being updated practically before you open out of the box. You've got an update to download and then all your apps need to be updated. Facebook does a 200 meg update pretty much every day. These things are not perfect out of the box because the number of things they're having to do are far more than what that Nokia had. In the Nokia, all you had to do was send text, play snake yeah. and make phone calls. <laughs> exactly. But now a car has to be an infotainment service. It's your Wi-Fi hotspot. It's got charging and it's got to deal with the fact that you change your phones every six months to a year. So these cars need updates. In the same way, the underlying mechanicals also get updates. So often there are better versions of existing parts like fuel pumps or whatever. Or maybe there's stuff like this airbag. Well, okay, this is a very bad example. But that stuff that actually is a safety issue will be fixed. Now, it's nothing to worry about. Mm. All this really means is that the manufacturer is looking after you. When people go, oh, I'm very worried about a recall. I'm like, well, why are you worried? The company's taking care of it. Yeah. They're going to fix it free of charge. You're going to get a better car. And when some next person buys it, they know that they have a safer car. This is true. I mean, sometimes things go wrong and we learn from the mistakes and then things get upgraded and they get fixed and uh, we get a better product out of it, hopefully. Very rarely. (laughs) Hopefully. But I do do wonder sometimes. I mean, most uh, modern cars, all modern cars, they've got onboard computers. Everything's calibrated. Mine sometimes goes, oh, the passenger airbag isn't working right now so I turn it off turn it on again and then it's fine again I'm like what's up with that reboot your car possibly (laughs) but but this is it our cars constantly need rebooting and updating now as well it's gonna get worse I mean you see the new generation of Tesla electric cars those are computers for all intents and purposes and they have capabilities that will be unlocked over time I mean the batteries will get better they will get better so it's not a a stationary thing whereas you drive an old car that doesn't get better Mm. that is just the same I mean, there are people who are committed to upgrading technology, but it's few and far between. Actually, you see the press release on that topic today for the most obscure 1% thing humanly possible. So, you know the Ferrari 250 GTO? Mm-hmm. It's the world's most valuable car in terms of resale. I mean, one just changed hands for about $38 million. Wow. So, it's about as expensive as cars gets. They didn't make many of them. They were all A lot of them went racing, and there's a lot of them about. So... 
Pirelli has made a tire for the 250 GTO and only the 250 GTO. We're talking about like sub 30 cars. So they've made a very, very expensive recreation tire that looks exactly like the original tire, but it's built with modern materials, so it stops and goes properly. Because the old tires were pretty ropey things. Yeah. I mean, people were doing... These were built to be racing cars. GTOs were racing cars. And they were doing 150, 170 on the Le Mans straight, you know, in France. But I would not want to be behind the wheel of one of those things because stopping wasn't the greatest. But now you have modern tires. And they figure, well, why not make a fresh new tire that suits this car. It's not useful consumer advice. Yeah. <laughs> but this is what's happening. Our people are upgrading these cars. So obviously that will go and stop better. Is, it, is this a nice little segue into your next jolly, Imtisham? Which is? Where, where you're heading tomorrow. Which I'm off to uh, Bridgestone's uh, factory in Toshigi in Japan to see how they make tires. I imagine they know how to make them because they've been doing it a very long time. So what are you going to be doing there? Well, we've talked to a lot of Bridgestone people. We're going to see how the tires are made. And we're going to hit the proving ground and see how they test the tires, which is always the fun part of the day because we get to throw some cars around on the wet handling circuit and see how these tires... I mean, I'm an official tire nerd, unfortunately. Mm. It's probably the saddest thing it can possibly be. But when it comes to tires, they make such a difference because they're the only thing that touch the road. And as I've found, it makes so much difference from tire to tire. Like you buy brand X and brand Y, completely different your car will feel different. You can upgrade the power, upgrade this or that, but you just change the tires and you'll be like, wow, it's a completely different car. And when it comes to off-road as well, there's a huge sort of fight about what is the best off-road tire. On-road as well. You could take a humble Yaris, put racing tires on it, and that would actually behave really well on a racetrack. It won't be faster, but it'll stop and go and handle properly. So yeah, of course, most people out here just buy the cheapest thing they can find. I was going to ask you, seeing as we've got on to the topic of tyres, I see quite a few um, discussions on various forums and people um, asking about expiry dates of tyres and uh, remolds or brand new tyres and which ones should we be buying? Brand new? Why is this a question? <laughs> you wouldn't buy somebody... People, so, so, what are the, so what are the cons of remolds? Why should people nothing not but, go and buy nothing remolds? Nothing but cons. I mean, those are used in like sort of um, markets where cost is an extreme factor. We're talking Africa or some parts of the subcontinent. It's not something that I would recommend for anybody. I would always say get a brand. You can't really get remolds that easily. The only people who really use them out here are trucks. Yeah. Big, heavy trucks because they go through a lot of tires constantly and they typically keep the newest tires on the cab Sorry, very nerdy. But most people, if you're getting offered a remold tire, you're in the wrong tire shop. Go yeah. and buy a brand new tire. And then go buy a proper tire. Probably the same one that the car came with. That's the best thing. Just buy this. Because then you'll be assured of the same experience. If you change the tire, you buy a cheap tire from, say, China or whatever. You're compromising so much for the sake of a few hundred dirhams. It's not worth it. <sighs> You say a few hundred dirhams, but sometimes it's a, a lot of hundreds of dirhams. I'll give you I'll give you an example. The car I used to have when I owned a car instead of leasing one, <laughs> I took it in and the dealer wanted to charge me virtually a thousand dirhams a tire. A corner. Whereas, what did you have, a Range Rover? <laughs> <laughs> no, Ford Edge. And then I went to another one. They were like, uh, it's like half the price, less than half the price. Yeah, but. Often the dealer will have, a, oh, I'm trying to defend the dealers here. Um, in certain cases, again, I'm, you didn't have a Ferrari. Ferraris, Mercedes, Cadillacs, they have specific sets of tires, specific um, moldings of tires that mm. are set up for that car. So there's a spec. You can't read it, but it's like a secret code on the tire that says this is Cadillac spec. Okay. This is Mercedes spec. This is Porsche spec. Porsche, in fact, has specs. And you can know this if you ever look on the side of a tire, which you know only I will do. If it says N1, it's a Porsche spec tire. 
Really? Okay. And uh, this is completely useless, but you know, somebody out there will remember this. But you can often go to any shop in Dubai, ask for the same tire, and you might get a better price than the dealer. That would be my sincere advice. You probably get a lot cheaper. It wouldn't be like 200 dirhams, but it'd be a bit less than 1,000 dirhams. <laughs> Obviously, the dealer is the most expensive, but they're the ones who have the freshest, newest tires, etc. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, another UAE story that I wanted to come on to, um, car insurance. And uh, this is w- one thing that happens a lot of places elsewhere, but drivers across the UAE are being urged to take advantage of no claims discounts when renewing their car insurance. Now, I know some insurance companies had been doing this before, but I don't know whether they'd actually been issuing uh, like a proper no claims certificate. And um, this is a good thing, right? It's a very good thing. But what I don't understand is, hasn't it already b- always been the case? I mean, I've got a pretty long no claims bonus at this point, And... I mean, my rates are going down, but it feels like I'm finally being positively affected for not yep. having accidents. Well, it's um, according to the story, it's after amendments were made to the country's insurance regulations at the start of the year, mandating that driving histories have to be included when determining quotes, which is uh, which what is they great. already. I'd, apparently not. So I, I was I was quite I thought this was happening, but um, this is this is a really good thing. So another reason to well, drive rates, safely. Rates went up last year significantly for a lot of people, and to be honest, it's incentivizing people people to drive safely and I'm seeing that when I go into the workshops when I go into the dealerships uh, as we all already know right now accident rates are down which Mm. is a good thing and if you go into the dealerships they're having less broken cars from accidents that's actually a fact so you're dealerships which maybe they're happy about not so happy about because you know it's always a silver lining but you are seeing less cars and I think people are slowing down I think people are starting to say well you know what it's expensive when my car is in the shop because I drive like an idiot and I think also the authorities and the police's white point system. I've seen a few people uh, basically saying, I got contact- contacted by the uh, police and they're rewarding me for being a good driver. I've got white points on my Isn't license. Isn't that a bit scary? Is this a thing? Is, is, uh, why are you calling me? Oh, I'm here to, here to give you good things. Really? <laughs> you it's, can do that? But it's nice though, right? It is very nice. Get rewarded for driving well on the roads. But we need to see more I mean, of that. I applaud the police. It's a good incentive. But people shouldn't be incentivized to drive safely. They should just know that they need to get home safe to their families I mean I've seen people slowing down though I've Mm. seen a lot less reckless driving I think people are starting to think well it's not worth it it's not worth it and you know I like this car why am I smashing into people every once in a while just to you know be nice to each other on the roads that's a good thing (laughs) well you know what you're probably going to be five minutes late yeah but it's worse it's not great to be standing outside in the heat with the car in pieces and arguing with somebody over whose fault it was. That's not really worth it, is it? Not at all. We've got an uh, SMS in here, uh, Shan. It says, Did, do you know why the Tesla Model X is limited to 137 kilometers an hour? Is this only in ludicrous mode or in all modes? It's not limited to 137 kilometers. I've, these Where did things this are, come from? I have no idea where this is coming from. Is he an owner? Is As far as I know, the car is not limited at all. Or if it is, it'll be a software limiter. That's something that'll be easily uh, movable. But the car that I drove, uh, to be fair, I've only driven a Model S. I haven't driven a Model X, but it's more or less the same thing. And it was certainly going a lot faster than 137 if you needed it to. So if that's the case, take it to Tesla and ask them what's up. <laughs> Why is being limited? I'm not surprised though. <laughs> Teslas are finicky things. They are very much laptops on the road and they do have lots of fiddly weird issues. But they'll fix it. You're just not a fan, are you? <laughs> you know what? I'm a fan of how that thing drives. What a rapid car. What a lovely car to drive. But is it the future? It's frightening more than anything else because it is very accomplished and it's very good. But I don't want cars to be like this.
I miss the sounds of engines and petrol and all that. That's something that's going away and it's it's never coming back, is it? Maybe they'll add to the sound. You never know. It could happen. Yeah, but it just, they just hum. They just hum. <laughs> they just sort of like... They do what? They hum. Hmm. They hum. They, that's all they can do. They can't make like roar. They can't roar. That's not the way a car should be. But and we digress. Uh, well, we do. And uh, someone else has just SMSed in saying uh, accidents and everything has gone down because of the cost of fines. That well, might be the case. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's one reason, that's for sure. I'm tired of spending all your money on fines. That's a good thing. No kidding. Yeah. And uh, one car I know you wanted to talk about was uh, the brand new Volkswagen Touareg. I will say it correctly. Well, nobody else does. <laughs> I do. I just say Volkswagen. <laughs> Volkswagen. What does that mean? A people's car? The Touareg is not really it's some people's car because it's really expensive. <laughs> Out here, those are like really pricey things. We're actually, um, we're getting one that's pretty much all new. It's based on Mercedes. Uh, uh, the new MQB platform, which is code for saying it's the same as an Audi Q7 underneath. Mm. And the Bentley Bentayga. It's all running off the same platform, just chopped and stretched, etc. Um, America's not getting it. So, yay, we're getting it. Europe's getting it. I believe some parts of Asia. It's a premium part. And the reason America is not getting it because it'd be too expensive for America. They get their own car called the Atlas, which is also sold as a Terramontier, and that's built in America. So but the Tuareg is made in... Not Germany, I think it's Slovakia, I'm not sure, but it's in built in Europe, so it's quite a pricey thing. It's a premium product. It's got a 15 inch screen on the dashboard. It's a laptop. Wow. It's got like this huge, massive driver cockpit. It's all, everything's animated. It's a plush, plush car. So uh, perfectly built for this market then? Yeah, I mean, we like toys. And we like cars with fancy badges, so the Volkswagen will do really well, I think, when it comes out. And you've, you've, you have you test-driven this one yet? Not yet, because they've just unveiled it in China <laughs> three but days ago. That would be a bit hard. But the old Touareg was a great car. It was starting to feel its age a little bit, because it's been around in one form or the other since 2007. So mm. it's been around for a bit. But the Touareg's always been a good family car. It's an upmarket family car. So if you're a fancy family, the Touareg is for you. And if you're a really fancy family, you buy a Q7. And if you're an even fancier family, you buy a Bentayga. I like the Touareg. It's a, it's a st- substantial vehicle. I mean, when you're in it, it feels like there's something big around you. That's oh, so what I like it is. It's got that bank vault build quality to it. Yeah. It's a nice car. I think the new car will also be really good. Um, we have no real technical details or specs on it, but really, rest assured, it'll have air suspension. It'll be comfortable. I mean, it'll be a nice car to drive. Uh, Engines-wise, I think we're going to get the V6 uh, for this market. Obviously, we're not getting any diesels. Somebody out there in Volkswagen land is um, shuddering slightly when I say diesel. But <laughs> don't go there. Well, they're just happy out here because they don't sell any diesels. That's fine. They're fine. very happy about that. Yeah. And uh, so what else have you been looking at? Anything well, else that you just want to round off on quickly? Well, you know what? At the moment, it's all a bit quiet. I'm waiting for the new cars to launch. I think the new Ram is coming. The biggest cars this year are going to be the JL Wrangler, the new Wrangler. That's going to be a big, big car. The mm. new and the new Ram when that lands. Other than that, we've got some shape changes. We've got some new stuff coming from Chevy. We've got the Silverado ZR1 Corvette will finally start touching down. They actually launched the ZR1 in the Middle East. That was a global reveal. Was in Dubai. And that was a lot of fun, actually. They had the, all the owners come around and talk to them. And the funny thing was the chief engineer of Corvette, who was a very nice man called Ted Jector, who looks exactly like sort of Clint Eastwood and kind of behaves like a big squinty stare. He said, you're all very young. Really? <laughs> yes, that? because the average age of uh, Corvette owners is, I think, in the late 20s or early 30s. Somebody from GM is going to call up and correct me in a minute. But it's pretty young. It's just like Rolls-Royce owners here, the youngest in the world. Yeah. Whereas in America, Corvettes are driven by old dudes. 
like all in their 50s, a bit of a gold chain kind of car. But out here, they're all young, happening people. I, do you know what? I th- I quite like a Corvette. I like an, I like the sound of a Corvette. Oh, it makes a lovely it noise. It does, doesn't it? But new Corvettes going away and it's coming away with a whole new model in, I think, 2018. I think the, the, the rumor is that the new Corvette is going to be like mid-engine. So it's going to be like a Ferrari. Mm. So it's going to be a completely different car to drive. It's going to be much more exotic, much more expensive, much faster. But that's the C8 Corvette. That's a while away. I think they're going to show that in January. And that's going to be the biggest change in 50 years because the original engineer wanted to do that in the mid-60s. And they wouldn't let him do it because it cost too much. Now, of course, GM has lots of money. Mm. And they're going, to, they're going to make you pay lots of money for that Corvette. But when it comes out, it's going to be spectacular. Look forward to that. A Ferrari beater from Detroit. <laughs> is that what they call it? It will be. I mean, to be honest with you, Hand on heart, the new Corvette is a more interesting drive than some of the recent Ferraris I've driven. I can say that. The Ferraris, of course, are always the Ferraris. They always have their brand image. But the Corvettes are purer sports cars. Having said that, you know, you don't buy a Ferrari to drive fast now. You buy it because it is a Ferrari. Excellent. We look forward to that. And Sean, we've run out of time, but thank you so much for uh, joining me this week. And uh, are you both back with us next week? Hopefully, as well? inshallah. And we can hear about uh, Shazad's uh, Range Rover driving experiences across the UK. No, I'm not coming then. I, I want mud and fields. That's what I want to hear about. Well, we can't, really ma- <laughs> we can't even make a muddy field. Although when it rains, everything's a muddy field in the Middle East, isn't it? That's true. That's very, very true. Uh, M. Tisham from Motoring Middle East, uh, thank you very much for joining me tonight. That is Car Talk.